Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 46 titled, They're Ready, I'm Not. Grief affects every person differently. We know this intellectually, but subconsciously, I think we hold ourselves to what we think is a more normative standard. If one person looks like they've healed, I should too, right? We should on ourselves and allow tormenting thoughts to persecute us for wanting more time to mourn. So this week, we are having a very frank discussion about what could be considered normative, as well as framing out some methods to support your own healing when someone else wants to push you faster down the path. But before I go on, I just wanted to give a quick thank you and shout out to my first patrons and premium subscribers. So hello and all my love to Pam, Jeremiah, Larry, Beth, Debbie, Micah, and Jared. Your contributions are incredible and so generous, and I'm so grateful and sometimes still a little surprised. So thank you. Let's get into it. The first thing we want to do is dismantle the idea that a normal grieving process exists. As much as we can say, any and all of it can be normal, depending on your immediate family, your socioeconomic status, your community, ethnicity, belief system. As it turns out, we are a people beholden to the variables, which is great news for the grief process and also terrible news. (laughs) We're all completely individual. Our stories and experiences are as unique as our DNA, and we are going to be able to form our own experiences and understandings of loss. But that also means we don't have much of a roadmap to follow. However, there are common threads through loss that we've learned over decades of study. Each principle is going to fit like an oversized sweatshirt. In some areas, it'll make sense. It will serve the purpose of warmth, even if it's too roomy or maybe longer down to our knees than we want. The size is more than we've bargained for, but it's still the same idea. In the same way, grief is expansive and so much more than we expect, but the basic ideas remain. So from there, we can form our own experiences within what we see, hear, and feel. When you are grieving as part of a community, you are all going to experience the loss and express your loss in unique ways. Some will sob, some will feel unable to cry, Some will basically embody platitudes, while others can hardly speak of the loss. This we expect, right? What we don't expect is to feel somewhat left behind as we continue to actively grieve, yet bear witness to others in our community appearing to heal and move on. And even though we know they're not moving on, quote unquote, it's difficult to observe. Comparison is an easy, critical thought to entertain, and when you don't necessarily have a path forward of your own, observing another person's apparent success at grief can cut to the quick. So first we need some definitions. Since we know that grief does not really ever come to an end, we can reasonably conclude that it must remain then in different states of our being. One framework we can use is the concept of acute or subtle grief. They're about as straightforward as they sound. Acute grief is knock you on your ass, spontaneous tears at the dry cleaners, unable to remember if you ate food or even prepared it in the first place kind of grieving. It's the tidal waves that make you wish for a quick death of your own just to make the confusion and ambiguity and anguish come to an end. And I'm sorry if that sounds brutal, but it is. It's very brutal and it sucks. If you were here for sugarcoating, I'm really sorry. I don't have it, but I will support you through the rest of it. 
I just want to be honest because in my experience and my story, at least two years of acute grief was really, really painful and true for me. And denying it would be to do me and you a disservice. So that doesn't mean everyone is in for two straight years of acute grief, but that was my story. Settle grief is the shore after the storm. There's debris and aftermaths to sort through. Wreckage that may remain with treasures or simply be unsalvageable. But despite the chaos around us, there is a sense of calm, of completion. It may even give us a belief that our grief is over, and more on that later. But it is this subtle grief that looks and feels like healing. Because it is. Subtle grief may still interrupt your day with unexpected tears, but they are of a more gentle nature. You are learning to observe your grief like a friend, like a familiar for which you have compassion and understanding. Now that we have all this context, our question is, when we are in the middle of acute grief and those around us seem to have shifted into a more subtle experience of grief, how can we continue to heal when we feel so alone? Or even if we feel offended by another's process and state of healing while we continue to float through the wreckage. In my experience, we have to return to the spiraling nature of life. It's not linear, just as grief is not linear. We grow in a way that we are expanding upwards, widening our influence and our understanding as we grow. The same is true of grief. We may circle back around to familiar territory, like a repeated grief trigger, conversation, or a feeling in our loss. But we are still approaching it from a new point of view. This is where any grief work that we have done will come into play. When our grief is acute, we are in triage mode, right? Whatever serves in the moment that alleviates the pain, so long as we are caring for ourselves. As time passes, we tend to gain a little perspective and move away from our coping mechanisms and toward harm reduction. So for example, if we are coping by drinking alcohol or even engaging in risky social behaviors, maybe we recognize a need to dial those back a bit as time passes and we begin to see the impact they're having on our life. So each little spiral upward into a new position decreases harm on behalf of our own life and that is an act of healing. Take a minute and think back on your own coping tools. Have you given yourself credit for all the healing you've done? Are you right now in the middle of acute grief and wondering what you could possibly do to decrease your day drinking? Even pouring the drink in your hand down the sink is genuinely a mark of healing. It's you making a different choice. I'm not saying it will be easy. Far from it but you're literally training your brain to fire a new synapse or push a new button that says, hey, when I'm feeling this low, I dump out my drink. When you give your brain permission to take a new action, you are asking it to also remember a new order of operations. You are retraining your thoughts to lead to a new feeling and engage in a new behavior. That's retraining and that is healing. So no matter how small those moments feel, The celebration of every baby step is reinforcing your new and less harmful behaviors. That's incredible. You have to make time to celebrate. The more you allow yourself to retrain your thoughts, emotions, physical feelings, and spiritual connections to self, others, the world, and to God, the more you will experience the steady pace of subtle grief. I found that in my own life, I was elbow deep in subtle grief before I even recognized it. But when I noticed the change, 
I took time to reflect on how long I'd felt that way. And it genuinely felt like a miracle. I'd found my unexpected pathway into healing. See, we're not going to get anywhere looking at another person's grief process. Not truly. We bear witness to others as an act of generosity. And yes, there will be times that we relate to another person's story or try something new that encouraged them. But learning about someone else's process and a grief story isn't the most meaningful way we can uncover what we need. We do that by paying attention to and telling our own stories. When we are safe enough in community to fall apart, we are spiraling upwards by speaking up about what we've experienced and expressing honestly what we need. That new positioning allows for new insight and new actions that lead to our healing pathways. Sometimes people in the subtle grief space in your life may feel like you're not, quote, putting in the work. Maybe they disapprove of your coping mechanisms, but rather than offering questions about harm reduction, they offer judgment about your choices. They use shame or comparison to motivate you into healing. Others will use their experience of purpose, speaking of your potential, as if you are unaware that you have any. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard grievers say something like, I pulled away from them because they kept telling me I was wasting my life by crying all the time, as if I could control it. See, shame never works. We know that. Comparison fails every time. That one's harder to remember. Even promising a revelation of purpose is painful because it relegates our grief to simply a stepping stone into a new thing, as if that grief event was the catalyst for our life to finally have some meaning. The truest way I have found to support myself when someone else wants me to move at their pace is to point out that we are very different people. Sometimes I can use the acute and subtle grief language. Sometimes I'm not safe enough to push back, so I create a boundary in that relationship. But most of the time, I push back by simply saying, grief has no timeline, so I have no timeline. I'm sorry that makes you uncomfortable. But nothing about this process is expected to feel great. So I'm learning how to exist without needing to feel at ease or in a comfort zone all the time. And that's okay. If someone genuinely has the audacity to push back on you here after something so clear as that, send them straight to me because you deserve to grieve as you need to. And my whole vibe (laughs) is protecting innocent grievers from well-intentioned but harm-causing shame salesmen. I will not allow it. Okay? I've got your back. But I digress. Let's end this conversation with the inevitable swing back into acute grief. It happens to every single one of us. We feel like we're making incredible progress. Life is offering a bit of clarity, and we might even find ourselves smiling or laughing again. And then like a tsunami, the acute grief is back at the helm, and we're just praying that we can find a life jacket on board. So what then? Then, my friends, we remember the spiral. We pause and recognize that although we've been here before, we are standing now on higher ground. We know some of the ways we supported our healing in the first waves of acute grief, but because we've allowed our brains to carve new neural pathways with those harm reduction behaviors and decisions, we are quicker to recall what has helped us and what did not. Basically, we are now the EMT graduates, no longer looking to see what all the other trainees are doing. We know how to triage. We are experienced and quick to act on our own behalf. We know how to save our life. Thank you for listening to episode 46 of Restorative Grief. 
This one hits so hard for me every time because acute grief is no joke. We make jokes because we often let our dark sense of humor as grievers drive the bus so we can find something to feel lighthearted about. I actually love so-called dark comedies, so if you have a favorite, send me an email. I definitely lean into them when I'm stressed and grieving, and it's way less harmful than other coping mechanisms I have participated in in the past. But no matter where you sit right now, remember your grief story is yours to experience. Don't waste your time comparing it to others. Don't let their decisions or actions become the measuring stick for your healing. And certainly check your own judgments too. It's okay to realize that you're offended by someone's healing process. It is not okay to allow that offense to linger and cause even more secondary losses as you grow distant from the people you love. If an honest conversation is needed, then go for it. No one will be ready to move forward in loss or even begin the integration of their loss at the same time. Believing otherwise only leads us to more walls and broken connections. If this is your first time listening, thank you 3000 for being here. My name is Mandy. (laughs) If you didn't know, I'm a trauma-informed grief coach in the Pacific Northwest, and I wanted to start the show to increase grief literacy in our lives. We can't heal if no one around us knows what healing looks like. And honestly, once we find it for ourselves, we can't help but live in a way that shows other people that it's possible for them to find healing too. Please take a few moments to open your podcast listening apps and review our show because I love it and I want you and others to love it too. Don't forget to subscribe as well for a new episode each week. And speaking of which, this is actually my one year anniversary from when I launched the show. (laughs) I think it was actually last week, but I was busy and took a few weeks off. So there are no 52 episodes as you might expect, but still it's incredible. And I'm really proud of us for sticking with it. Your faithfulness as an audience keeps me going. And if you're really invested, you can now literally invest. Just like the patrons I mentioned earlier, you can do it as an anniversary gift for the show. That's perfect. It's one I would never return. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I'm talking about becoming a premium subscriber for the show for the low, low price of $4.99 a month. I've just launched the option to subscribe and there are already seven bonus episodes, including an exclusive interview with my friend, Josh Scott. I'm telling you, if your grief story involves a difficulty or struggles with your faith in any way, you do not want to miss that episode. It is fire and it's live now. We also have two interviews coming up in the next couple of months with my friends, Derek Myers and Micah Morgan, both brilliant, incredible souls. She is a pastor and licensed professional counselor talking about community loss. Derek Myers is one half of your favorite heretics on Instagram, a very popular deconstruction account. And we are talking about the loss of certainty and spiritual fluidity. So both of them are absolutely worth the subscription alone, but you get all of them for one rate. Are you kidding? Okay. So that's the pitch. The link to become a premium member of the podcast is in the show notes, as well as link to check out Patreon for more fun bonuses and opportunities to partner with restorative grief. Long outro today. So thank you for sticking with me. (laughs) I love your guts and I'm so grateful you're here. And one last thing before you go, please remember the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.